Good evening, everyone. All right. Good to see y'all today as we continue our study through Deuteronomy. We're getting. Uh, this is the last section of the main uh, midsection of the book, which covers chapters five through twenty-five, covering the. Uh, you know, renewing the covenant with God as they, or Yahweh as they get ready to go uh, into the promised land. So this is the last uh, part of that section of chapters uh, 5 through 25. So I'm going to pray and ask for the Lord's help and get into our passage and see what God has to say to us. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We ask you to bless us and strengthen us by your word tonight, Lord, as we look at the uh, first fruit offering and the implications uh, thereof, and also the uh, command to, to obey your word because these are your people and they are your possession. And Lord, we are your possession. We are your people also, Lord. And may we see uh, what you require of us as we study tonight. And also how all this points to our Lord and Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. Lord, just fill us and strengthen us uh, by your spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. So this, um, this chapter covers... Uh, basically three parts you know the, the first part is uh, the presentation of the first fruits at the place of worship I think that covers verses 1 through 11 then the second part is uh, regarding the third year tithes uh, verses 12 through 15 and then the third section um, is also is basically encapsulating all that has been said in the last 15 chapters of chapter uh, 12, chapters 12 through uh, 26. <clears throat> so the first part talks about uh, the tithes and the offerings of tithes uh, before the Lord. And of course, always remember, Israel is on the other side of the Jordan. They hadn't crossed over yet. Remember, they're at the banks of it and God is instructing them all the time. All the things we've been reading uh, from chapter 5 on down to now is God preparing them for when they go into the land. So these are some more instructions. We always, always have to have that reminder there. Um, because it says here in the very first verse, uh, when you come into the land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance and have taken possession of it and live in it. You shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground which you harvest from your land that the Lord your God has given you and you shall put it in a basket and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God would choose to make his name to dwell there. And you shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God. Uh, that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand 
and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall make response before the Lord your God. A wandering Arab man was my father, and he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number, and there became a great nation, great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers. And the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit to the ground, of the ground rather, which you, O Lord, have given me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house, uh, you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among us. So that is the first uh, 11 verses of this uh, chapter. And a helpful structure for this uh, helps us to understand um, this is an act of worship that Israel is performing to God, the, the bringer of the first fruits. The first thing you see in the first couple of verses is the worshiper's actions. It says here, uh, you shall take, begin at verse 2, you shall take, and then you shall put, and then you shall go, and then you shall come. So you see that in the first uh, verses 2 and 3, you shall take some from the harvest, and you shall put it in a basket, and you shall go. So you see all these commands. This, these are all acts of worship that they are doing. Okay? You take, you put, you go, and then you come. Okay? And then, so you see that in, in, in verse 3. And then you come to the priest. And then it says here, you shall say to him. That's in verse 3. Okay? And then you say to the priest, I declare to the Lord your God that I have come into the land. Okay? So the priest has actions also. So the worshiper, he, he, uh, his actions, then you see the worshiper's speech, and then you see the actions of the priest in verse what the priest is supposed to do okay so the priest takes the offering and then he shall set it down okay it says that in verse 4 then the priest shall take the basket so you see uh, what I'm going to point out is all the verbs all the actions that are, be done, that are being done as they are worshiping God okay so verse 4 the priest, he comes to the priest and makes his declaration. And then verse 4, the priest shall take the basket and set it down before uh, the altar. And then the worshiper in verse 5 responds. 
Okay? He responds, and then he says. So the worshiper says what he's going to say, and he says it. It's covered in verses 5 through 10. And then in verse 10, the worshiper brings, I now bring the first fruit of the ground, and you shall set. So uh, set it down. And then what does the worshiper do? It says here, you set it down. Okay. You shall rejoice. But first, before they say, you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. Now, what that means, worship before the Lord, means to prostrate themselves. Uh, in those days when they worship God, they prostrate themselves. They laid themselves out. <laughs> okay? So they prostrate themselves, and then you shall do what? Rejoice. So all of these are acts of worship. That is what the first fruits offering was about. It was the acts of worship of the worshiper who is the person bringing the offering. Then also the acts of worship of the priest who receives the offering. So what does this tell us? Anytime we, we give to God, anytime we do anything in service to God, we are performing an act of worship. So giving is an act of worship. Uh, serving is an act of worship. Anything we do in the house of the Lord and do for the Lord in the Lord's name is an act of worship. These are all action words that you see. So uh, worship is not activity where you sit around and do nothing. <laughs> okay. It is, it is acts of worship that are performed. And so we see that in this, in this passage here, all these acts of worship, all these action verbs, as we see, you take, you bring, you brought, you know, so forth and so on. Okay, so the first fruit giving for them, uh, obviously it honored the Lord because it gave the Lord his portion off the top um, before anything else was used for themselves. So that's why I was called the first fruit. So they, they gave the Lord, um, gave the Lord the first. And they gave their declaration before the Lord where they said to the Lord about what happened to them when they went down to Egypt. And this is important because this shows the gratitude that the people show and why they were given to the Lord. Why were they given the first fruits to the Lord? Because he delivered them out of Egypt. Okay. So this was basically a confession of thanks. Beginning at verse 5. All the way down through verse 9. From the time they were in Egypt until the time where he promised to bring them to a land flowing with milk and honey. So this was all thanks, remembering the history of Israel from the time of Jacob. So when it speaks of a worn, a wandering Arab man, that's speaking of Jacob. That's who it's speaking of. That's speaking of Jacob. Jacob was the was the patriarch. He married the daughters of his uncle Laban, and Laban was uh, an Arab man, and the daughters of Laban were uh Rachel and Leah. Okay, those were the daughters of um, Laban. And so that's who we're speaking of. Jacob was, uh, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob gave birth to the 12 patriarchs, the 12 sons. Okay, so um, that's who it is speaking of when it's talking about the, the Arab man. Okay, so. They went from the time that Jacob and his family 
uh, were in the land of Canaan to the families going down to Egypt. Now, how did the family end down in Egypt? It was because of Joseph. Okay? The people uh, at the end of the book of Genesis, when you know Joseph uh, finally met uh, his father after so many years of being down in Egypt, and, and the family settled in Egypt because uh, Joseph had favor with that pharaoh of that day. Okay, so the family settled in Egypt. And then also it covers the deliverance and the exodus into the promised land. So they were giving because they were thankful for what God had done for them as a nation. Okay, so uh, they went from fewer number, of course, as it says, and they became a great nation, a great, mighty, and populous. And then it says, now behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land. That's in verse 10. So uh, that's what this was all about. And this was an act of worship. Worship before the Lord your God. And then uh, uh, because of this, what did they do? They rejoice. So you shall rejoice in every good thing which the Lord your God has given to you and your house. You and the Levite and the stranger who is among you okay so they have cause to rejoice okay so they celebrated this giving was a time of celebration it was a celebration for being able to give and also a celebration for what God had done for them as a nation okay and, sin, and then now so we have that part now we transition into the prayer but before we do that so the Bible speaks of Christ as our first fruits okay Christ is our first fruits so this speaks of Christ Christ is the first fruits of those who uh, are raised from the dead because who rose from the dead first Christ did so when we think about um, Christ being the first fruit we must look at it in terms of him being raised from the dead because Christ rose guess what we rise so he is our first fruit so this this first fruit offering uh, points to Christ as our first fruit he was the first fruit of the resurrection Paul talks about this in uh, 1 Corinthians, I think, 15. Uh, he says here, 15 and 23, Christ was the first to be raised to life and his people will be raised to life when he returns. Okay? So Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. If there was no resurrection of Christ from the dead, then there would be no resurrection of the saints. When he comes back. So this is why the first fruit. Is important. It points to Christ as being. The first fruits of the resurrection. He rose first. So that we may rise. To eternal life. Also. So that's something important for us. Uh, to know as believers. Christ did it first. <laughs> okay. Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That's 1 Corinthians 15 and 20.
And I'll read that section here. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 23. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 23. And Paul here says. But in fact. This is the ESV translation. He says. But in fact. Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And that means those who have died in Christ. For as by uh, a man came death. By a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die. So also in Christ shall all be made alive but each one in his own order Christ the first fruits then at his coming those who belong to Christ so Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection and because of that those who belong to Christ will be raised at his coming So when we're looking at this first fruits offering, it is a picture of Christ as our first fruits. An offering of resurrection from the dead. An offering of eternal life because that is what gives us eternal life. The fact that we won't remain in the grave forever, but we will be raised to life. So Christ is the first fruits of our eternal life. He has eternal life. And he's given us eternal life. When we're saved. And then. When we go to be with him in glory. We'll inherit. Uh, uh, true eternal life. It's already a not yet thing. We, we already have eternal life. Because we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the not yet will come. When he comes back. And it's. Um, First Thessalonians 4. We're going to read this coming up Sunday. Actually our call to worship. Uh, the dead in Christ will rise first. Why? Because Christ rose from the dead. He was the first fruits of our resurrection. Okay? So, that I want to point out in this passage as it points to Christ as our first fruits. So now we're going to this second section, verse 12 through 15. This is a prayer. So it says, When you have finished laying aside all your tithe of your increase in the third year, the year of tithing and have given it to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless and the widow so that you may eat within your gates and be filled. Then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the holy tithe from my house and also have given them to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless and the widow, according to your commandments, which you have commanded me. I have not transgressed your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. I have not eaten any of it went in mourning nor have I removed any of it for a unclean use nor given any of it uh, for the dead I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God and have done accordingly to all that you have commanded me look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel and the land which you have given us just as you swore to our fathers a land flowing with milk and honey so they were Asking God to look down upon them. So this was a, a prayer. 
Now, a tithe was required uh, of Israel every year, but every third year, a tithe was given not only to the Levites, but also the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat within the gates and be filled. So they had to share that tithe. And what does this show here? This shows in within the community of Israel, there was not any person who went lacking or who went without. The Levite, of course, they were the servants. Okay, they were taken care of. But also the people set aside something for the fatherless who were orphans. Of course, the widows whose husbands uh, were uh, not alive. And then also the stranger, the foreigner, those who are from the other nations that, that wandered into Israel. They were to take care of them also. Those people became part of uh, that community. So this here shows the main context is the community of God taking care of the needs of each other. That everyone's needs were met. That everyone was being taken care of. So that everyone could be able to do what? Eat. Everyone could eat. Okay. That is how community should look. That's how true Christian community should look. We see it here in ancient Israel. Um, with the people taking that third year tithe. And being benevolent. Okay. So you have the vertical and the horizontal. Um, the horizontal of course is in relation to each other. And the vertical was in their relation to God. Okay. So the horizontal was taking care of everybody's needs. Making sure that everyone was taken care of. So giving to the Lord was good. But benevolence was also good too. Benevolence basically means goodwill. Okay. So they were to show goodwill towards each other. Okay. And this was a way of o o obeying the Lord by doing this. Now in another example of the Christian community, community caring for each other. I think it's found in Acts. I think it's the book of Acts, the fourth chapter. I think it's Acts 4. Yeah, Acts 4. Toward the end here, verse 32. This is this is Kind of an example of that. This is after the Christian community was established. It says, Now the full number of those who believe were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power. The apostles were giving their testimony. 
to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all there was not a what needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid at the apostles feet and it was distributed to each as any had need okay so these people in this Christian community they took care of each other now look back at the second chapter beginning at verse 42 this was even earlier this is after Peter's great speech and then uh, more souls were added to the church see the same thing and they devoted themselves this is at verse 42 of Acts 2 and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship uh, to the breaking of bread and prayers and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes they received their food with gladness and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved so we, we see in the context of the New Testament church community the same principle that everyone was taking care of each other's needs and with, with the first fruits in the third year that was the same principle there the Levite the widow the orphan and the stranger uh, among them in their camp was taken care of their needs were met and that is the way it's supposed to be in the Christian community you know I talked about this before it is not I mean the church has uh, you know abdicated its duties many many years ago it is not the government's job to take care of uh, poor people necessarily by taxing everybody else or it's not the government's job to house the homeless or um, you know it's not the government's job to have nursing homes and I'm talking about the government I'm talking about federal government state government local government that's not their biblical duty their biblical duty is to uh, exact justice to reward the good and, and to punish evil and to promote uh, the flourishing uh, of everyone not to have nursing homes and if you notice <laughs> anything that's state run when I talk about state I'm talking about government anything that's state run is run down the services are always poor the people that they serve are always treated wrong and not treated well it's, not it's a lot of neglect that takes place in those type of uh, contexts the church primarily you know orphanages were started by churches you know centuries ago the church ran orphanages now were there some were there some abuses in the orphanages yes unfortunately but that don't mean that you shouldn't have orphanages but churches ran orphanages they took care of orphans churches ran adoption agencies now you got the state in adoption with the department of human resources <laughs> Yeah, churches started hospitals. 
but now the church has abdicated her responsibility in, in taking care of that. Foster children, all those things have been given over to the state, to the DHR. And, you know, God bless those who work for DHR. You know, uh, they, they have dignity and worth as employees, but they work for the state, the government, and it is a mess. Why? Because that's not the state's primary responsibility. It never was. The state is not supposed to be in the foster care business. The state is not supposed to be, biblically, the state is not supposed to be taking care of orphans. That's the responsibility of the church. Biblically. I mean, look look at this principle here in this, in this passage. Orphans, uh, fatherless are orphans. Israel took care of their orphans. The, the principle there, that's what the community of God is supposed to do. Because they are better served in a Christian context than a non-Christian context. Because in a Christian context, we see them as image bearers of God, worthy of, of dignity. That their worth comes from being made in the image of God. Not where they came from, where they were born, their family situation. That's not where their worth comes from. Their worth, their identity comes from the fact that they are image bearers of God. They're made in God's image and they ought to be treated as such. But the state doesn't think that way because the state is a secular institution. They, they're seculars. They don't believe in a, in a creator God. <laughs> so in this passage here in Deuteronomy, we see how God had called his people to take care of the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, those who are the most vulnerable in that, in that society. That's how it's supposed to look. And we saw in the New Testament the church community taking care excuse me, of each other. And then they prayed. Now this prayer shows that the giving was done with the right kind of heart. That's what this prayer shows. God not only wants us to give, but he wants us to give with a, a right heart. Now, what do we see in here about right giving? Right giving is done according to God's word. It says, according to all your commandments, which you have commanded me. Okay? So that's the first thing it says. According to all the commandments, which you have commanded me. That's uh, verse 13. And then also right giving is done within the context of a whole life of obedience. I have not transgressed any of your commandments nor have I forgotten them that don't mean that you live perfect but you have been living right before God and then it says I have not eaten of the tithe when I was mourning or removed any of it while I was unclean or offered any to it to I'm sorry offer any of it to the dead that means it was genuinely set aside uh, and given to the Lord. That they didn't do anything else with it. And they didn't give it to the dead. So that means that it wasn't done superstitiously. You know, at all. And then 
because of all that they expected God's blessing look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people why because your people have blessed you now this is just an expectation of blessing it doesn't mean that God is obligated to do it but it's okay to say Lord bless my giving it's not a sin as God that Lord bless my giving when you're a giving person when you give to people when you give to the church when you're generous and helping people it's, it's okay to pray uh, Lord uh, bless my giving look down from heaven and bless your people as they give it's, 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 not, it's no sin in that but what happens is those prosperity preachers they tell you you give in order to be blessed by God like somehow it's a manipulation thing like God owes you that's how that's how they put it but no we come humbly before god lord uh you know i i've given may, may you be gracious enough to to bless me in my giving i've lived an obedient life to you i've uh done my best with the spirit's help to obey your commands lord bless what i've given bless what i've given to this person or whatever the case may be bless what i've given in the baby bottle or to the homeless person or whatever the case may be to a family member uh, Lord look down from your holy habitation and remember me it's okay to pray that and ask God to remember you as you give and that's what they were doing here it's okay to do that we just can't fall all into the other ditch and, and, and make it seem as if God owes us something like the prosperity preachers do and then this last section here, Moses gives an exhortation to Israel. Beginning at verse 16. He says, this day the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and these rules. He's talking about all the ones that he's talked about. All the way back from chapter 5 as we read it in this book. Okay. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have declared today that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes and his commandments and his rules and will obey his voice. And the Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession and he has promised you and that you are to keep all his commandments and that he will set you in praise and fame and in honor high above all nations that he has made and that you shall be a people holy to the Lord your God as he promised. So this is Moses giving them a call one to complete obedience. Deuteronomy the fourth chapter in verse one started this section and this is what Deuteronomy 4 and 1 said now O Israel listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe so from that chapter all the way to chapter 26 Moses reminded Israel of God's commands now he is exhorting them to keep those commands so that was one long sermon from chapter 4, verse 1, all the way to now. That was a long sermon. 
where Moses reminded them of all the commandments. Remember, before they go into the house, I'm sorry, before they cross over into the Jordan. It's like you, you raise your child from the time they're born. And they get ready to graduate from high school. You remind them, hey, remember all that your mom and dad taught you. You're about to go out into the real world. Keep all the commandments. Remember all the things that, that we taught you. Because now you're about to go out into the world. It's kind of like the same thing. You, you, you're, you're raising them. You're training them. You're raising them in that fear and admonition of the Lord. And now they're about to be go, uh, go into adulthood. And you just tell them, hey, for these last 18 years, I, I told you everything that's required of you, everything that God expects of you. Now go out there and do it. That's kind of where we are with this right here. He said, therefore, you shall be careful to observe them. This reminds me, uh, you know, sometimes we need to be instructed regarding the law of God. Sometimes we, we need to be reminded. Sometimes we need to be reminded of God's laws and commands. We need to also be exhorted regarding God's laws. Exhorted means like encouraged. We need to know what to do, but we need to be encouraged to actually do it. That's where the exhortation comes in. When we come and preach every Sunday, we meet every Sunday on the Lord's Day. That's what we're doing. We're getting our marching orders from the Lord. You know, uh, this past Sunday, I was talking about how we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And I'm going to continue that this week. We need to be reminded of that. Like I said, that before God saved us, we were spiritually dead. And those who are not saved right now that we know, guess what? They're spiritually dead. And they need to know that they are and that only God can save them. Just have to have those reminders every now and then that, hey, these people who are unsaved, they're dead. They're spiritually dead. They can't save themselves, no matter how hard they try. That's a reminder to us of their state and how they need to hear the gospel, how they need to come to Christ. Because guess what? An unbeliever doesn't, doesn't uh, think <laughs> that they're separated from God. You know, like I always say, they say, oh, I talk to God every day. You know, they don't, they don't think they're lost. They don't believe they're dead in their trespasses and sins, but they are. So they need that reminder. And we need to be reminded of God's commands. Moses reminded them of the same thing. Of God's commands. So verse 17, we get to Israel's proclamation. What did Israel proclaim to do? Verse 17. So first Moses gives his proclamation to obey God. Obey everything that you've been taught. Now Israel, today... Verse 17, you have proclaimed the Lord to be your God. And that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes, his commandments and his judgments. And that you will obey his voice. So Israel was to proclaim two things. Number one, that the Lord will be their God, that Jehovah will be their God. That's what they were to proclaim. And we as believers have to proclaim the same thing. That the Lord is our God. 
the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is our God. There's only one God. Paul said that. One, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is above all, in all, and through us all. That's uh, Ephesians 4. The Lord is our God. That's a proclamation that we as believers have to make and also we just have to affirm that, that the Lord is our God. God, even our God. He is our God. And number two, they had to proclaim that they will walk in his ways and keep his statutes. And so you put these two things together. The identity of our God is always shown is always shown by the direction of our obedience. Whoever our God is will be shown by our action of obedience, by our direction of obedience. If we, if we are obeying the world and the ways of the world, then the ways of the world is our God. Satan is our God. We talked about that just, just this past Sunday. Walking according to the course of this world, the, the prince of the power of the air, who is Satan, who is at work now in the sons of disobedience. If you're walking in disobedience, you're showing who your God is. It's not the God of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is Satan, the prince of the power of the air. So our obedience, the way we obey, will show who our God is. So the implication here is that you proclaim God to be your God and that you will walk in his ways. That's the way that you prove that God is your God. So the way that we prove that God is our God is to walk in his ways. Again, we're not going to do it perfectly, but we don't continuously walk in sin. We're continuously putting sin to death, confessing our sins, repenting, turning away from our sins, hating our sins, not nursing our sins and encouraging our our sins and loving our sins and and clinging to our sins. No, we we want to abhor our sins. We want to hate our sins. That's when we know that God is our God. Those who are not of God, guess what? They love their sin. They they revel in their sin. They enjoy sin. They get pleasure from sin. Believers don't get pleasure from sin. Sin grieves us. But those who God is not their God. They love their sins. They celebrate their sins. They encourage others to participate in their sins with them. Why? Because God is not their God. They worship the false God, Satan. They worship the false God, the God of self. So Israel, to show that God was their God, they had to do it, obey, walk in his ways. And then lastly, you have God's proclamation. Verse 18 and 19. Also today, the Lord has proclaimed. So first again, verse 16, Moses made a proclamation. Verse 17, Israel made a proclamation. And now verse 18 and 19. The Lord has declared today or the Lord has proclaimed you to be his special people. Just as he promised you that you should keep all his commandments and that he will set you high above all nations which he has made. 
in praise and name and in honor and that you may be a holy people to the Lord your God just as he has spoken. Now who called Israel to be God's special people? God did. Israel didn't call themselves. This is this is the doctrine of election. It is God who calls us to salvation. We don't we don't call ourselves to salvation. It is God who chose us. We 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 went through that in Ephesians one, uh, if I need to remind you. You know, God predestined us before the foundation of the world. He called us before the foundation of the world. So this is the doctrine of election. God sovereignly chose Israel as a special people above all the peoples of the earth. And he reminded them back, we saw, I think, in Deuteronomy 7, chapter, not because of anything they did. There wasn't anything special about Israel. They were the smallest of all the nations. They were the weakest of all the nations. But God called them as his people. God chose Abram, who later became Abraham. God chose Abram out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him a covenant. Why did he choose Abram? Because he chose him. It was, it was you know, Abram was 75 years old. Mind his own business. And God called him out of Ur. Genesis 12. It wasn't anything that Abraham did for God to call him. That was by God's sovereign choice. And so he's reminding Israel the same thing. The Lord has proclaimed you to be his special people. And as they obeyed God, guess what? He will exalt them. He will exalt an obedient Israel and set them high above all the nations. So these were his treasured possession. He said that in Deuteronomy 7 and 6 that, that they were his treasured possession. And guess what? As a Christian, you are God's treasured possession. By faith in Christ, we're God's treasured possession. We are a holy nation. A people of his, of his own. And turn to First Peter. I think the second chapter, and then this is where we're going to land with this. First Peter two. That passage of Deuteronomy foreshadows this in First Peter two. Yep, verse 9. Now, if you held your spot in Deuteronomy, verse 18 of Deuteronomy 26, I read it, and the Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession. Now, First Peter 2 and 9. But you, and who are the you? He's writing to the saints, believers, to those who are elect exiles. That's First Peter 1. But he's talking about talking to the elect, the saints. So that's who the you are, not everybody. He says, but you are a chosen generation, a chosen race, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Some translations say a peculiar people or a people of his own possession. That's what it means in the Greek. So you are a chosen generation, a chosen race. Who chose us? God. Who chose Israel? God. So we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God called Israel to be holy. He set them apart. That's what it means. We're set apart, set aside. A people of his own possession. We belong to God by faith. And as chosen ones, we ought to do what? Proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And I love verse 10 just wraps it up in a nice little bow. Once you were not a people, just as Israel was not a people. Israel wasn't always the people of God. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That is us. And that was Israel. Israel was not God's people. God made them his people. Israel, first of all, did not have mercy, but God had mercy on them. Amen. Mm. God chose us to be his people. God chose Israel to be his people. And he's letting them know this as they prepare to go into, excuse me, into the promised land. They go to the promised land, obeying God. God's going to set them above all the other nations. They know that they're God's special people as they cross this land. Man, think about how much confidence that gives them. Knowing that we belong to, we are the special people of this earth. We belong to the creator God. That gives them great confidence as they get ready to go into this land. And as believers, we have great confidence knowing that we're God's people, that we are adopted into his family as his sons, as Paul told us in Ephesians, the first chapter. We're sons of God. We are his adopted children by faith in Jesus Christ. And that should give us confidence as we journey through this life on the way to our promised land, which is heaven. It gives us confidence knowing that we are God's people. If you are a believer, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're one of God's people. You belong to the Lord. And guess what? Nobody can take that away from you. Nobody can take that, that reality away from you. Nobody can take that truth away from you. No circumstance can take that truth away from you. No circumstance could take this away from Israel. Although Israel, when they got to the land, they still sinned against God. As we're reading through uh, 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 first Kings, you're going to see that with all these wicked kings that are going to come along. You're going to see Solomon's uh, sins as king. God still fulfilled his promise that he made to David, that there was never going to fail to be anyone sitting on his throne. Despite Israel's Faithlessness, God remained faithful to his covenant. Because these are his people. 
So we're God's people despite our sin. Despite our sin. It's because of God's faithfulness that we're his people. Not because of ours. Because if it was up to us, <laughs> we, would, we would not be his people. It's because of God's faithfulness. His faithfulness to his covenant. So we can walk in this world with confidence. Confident, not with our chest stuck out, but just confidence in knowing I belong to God. And you know that matters more than anything else. You know, when I was in my uh, old church, there was a sister that, that, that used to always say, you have to know who you are and whose you are. In other words, who are you? You are a saint. You are a believer. You are a uh, chosen one of God. But you have to know whose you are. You're God's. Who you are? Saint. Whose you are? God's. You're God's. You belong to God. You are his and he is yours. Christ is mine and I am his. And no one can take that away from us. No situation, no circumstances. No amount of heartbreak or heartache can take that away from us. So we see this with Israel. God said you are his people. You are his treasured possession. And if you obey him. He will set them high above all nations. And they will be a holy people to the Lord as he promised. And guess what? God fulfills his promises. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you as we close out this study. You call Israel to give their first fruits. And Lord, help us to continue to do that. And do it with joy. Do it with worship in our hearts. Because those are acts of worship. And Lord, help us to obey your words. To obey all that you tell us. Lord, always remind us. As we read your word. Of our duty to obey you and your commands. And Lord, lastly, help us to see that we are your people. That we belong to you. You are our God. You are the only God. You are the Lord God. And we are your people, Lord. And Lord, no one can take that away from us. We praise you for that. That is such a precious truth. Be with us, Lord, as we go through the rest of this day and the rest of this week. All those who are not here, all those who may watch this and listen to this, Lord, that you may strengthen them. And Lord, just thank you for your word. Just refresh us by your word. In Christ's name I pray until we meet on the Lord's day. Amen.